a little bit yeah, there. Yeah, it'll be all right. <clears throat> I'm blaming the Skype delay. <laughs> good, good choice, and very, very good start at being the funny man. <laughs> No so, if your job is to be the funny man, my job is to be to be uh, the guy drinking the beer <laughs> oh, on this podcast. Is that what you're doing? So, so tonight I'm sampling a harpoon chocolate stout. So my which, uh, last attempt to get I've had a couple of these before, so I can tell you they're pretty yeah, good. It sounds good. Hour and a half tonight. Have you been in Tearing the new Whole Foods hard drive in it? Um, beer it distributor again. Section. I have not yet. Ah. Well, the hard drive but, uh, Oh, wait, you have, a, you have a whole, external. whole foods down your way, right? The only FireWire external I had to spare was an old... Uh, I think there's one know, in Bryn Mar, maybe? Second-gen iPod. Like there. there was one in Ardmore. But, uh, it could be. And that didn't work. I don't it know. got like 95% I of the I have not been there, though. And I don't think they have the bar like yeah. the other ones do. So, uh, so the so bars are all right. Like, I've been in there for lunch. 60% of the way through the install process. Well, it's like you can fill up the growler and stuff, right? You can. Like, you can do that. And then Which they have six turned packs off to take out in single bottles that you can get. And they have a so I don't quite know why it's a uh, wide selection. But it's all... Right, it's yeah, because my brother-in-law went to the Whole Foods, and it was great because we had to finish the growler because it was going to go so bad. So we sat there and pounded a growler the other night. Nice. Like hell to get this thing right. Yeah, he's like, hey, I just bought this, and it's going to go bad. Um, I guess he'd had it for a day or two. Oh. And... And you know, and they seal well, but I guess they're not the same as like a beer bottle, obviously. Yeah, I thought they lasted a little longer. <clears throat> I think it's just an excuse to pound a few oh, beers, yeah. and I was and I was fine with that. Yeah, that that can happen. <laughs> that was no okay. problem. So back to uh, some of the subjects at hand, and welcome to week two of uh, an open conversation as we kind of right still right. still winging it. Um, we'll get our act together so, though. Yeah. Um, so to start, I did a little bit, but not as much as I would have liked to, um, research on UDDI. And while I think it was originally intended to be externally facing for companies to be able to publish services of things they might offer for consumption, kind of like um, the examples you keep reading about is like a yellow book. Uh-huh. You know, so you kind of go up and look like, hey, I want to find uh, okay. you know, a stock quote service. We could go and find that out on the internet and find the UDI and then start to consume it somehow. Huh. But internally, I think it did provide, as we discussed before, um, a way to do failover and other things. So you could go in, similar to what you're talking yeah. about with the Yahoo right. d- discovery service, go to the registry, yeah, you know, cache some information about where the service is, um, you know, the Wizdle, all that other information. And then assuming there's some kind of failure connecting that service, you can then go back to the registry and you know, see if it has a, a failover point or potentially a new one was published, you know, something like that. I've never seen it used that way, but that's the theory. All right. So, so is it dead so, yet? <laughs> I'm not dead yet. Um, <laughs> there was lots of. I mean, I would assume it's on its way to being dead because there's lots of examples yes. of, you know talking about it and there's like right. wikipedia pages but i couldn't find many kind of went the way like, of uh, genie yeah uh, yeah <laughs> great idea uh, um what happened yeah just never fully implemented right cool so there you go okay um and i think also with the advent of newer formats and simple formats whether it's like you know restful or adam you know something like, i don't think it necessarily meets all those standards you know what i mean Right. 
right. if you don't have a complete WSDL and all the rest of it for the endpoints. Oh, right. You have to be yeah, that's fully my job. compliant then, I suppose. The funny man. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and therefore, you kind of lose the advantage of that. Sure. Okay. Uh, cool. Yeah. So last week, I think after our conversation ended or towards the end, you had mentioned enhancements to the Finder and the Mac. We were talking about um, just, you know, I personally don't use the Finder very much at all. I use Quicksilver for almost everything. Right. Um, As do I, so I um, mostly, you know. And when I pop up the Finder, I'm normally like half lost because I – it takes me three seconds to get it set to the way I want it. Right. You know, to be able to go back multiple folders or a few things the way I want to view them. Um, but you said there was a nice some plugins you were using to, to make that experience a little better. Yeah. Well, you know, um, so I, I I'm trying this thing called Total Finder. It's like it's like alpha, um, and the install I have right now says it's going to inspire uh, expire in 19 days. <laughs> but then, yeah. then, then there will be an update, you know, and then it'll extend it another like ten days. That's pretty funny. Alpha software expiring. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wonder if that's for the developers' sake, so that they don't like stop developing. Like they have to come out with an extra release before that expires. It's more for them. It could be. It's motivation. I mean, but I think the, uh, the 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 point is that they intend to charge for it at some point, <laughs> right? Like, right. Sure. Um, so the nice thing that it's providing is um well for starters your your finder windows can have chrome tabs you know the little page tabs mm -hmm. you get in chrome when you have more than one tab open yeah that's um, nice. it does that it looks identical to chrome um and it also adds a mode where if you have two tabs open and you double click the tab it'll merge those tabs into a split view so that you can drag things from one section to the other, right? So, you know, normally the way you use Finder, right, you want to drag and drop files from one place to another. you got to go open two windows and oh, yeah. navigate oh, yeah. each one to where you want to be and then make sure that the one's visible from the other one, right? And that's a pain in the butt. So this makes that a whole lot simpler, right? You find your two folders, you double-click, you pull from one one folder to the other it, it's much simpler right. yeah well with the current finder i'm usually too lazy to open two windows to where i want them to be i usually just click and drag and hold it and it kind of like pops open another window and then you hold it over another folder and it pops open another window yeah, but then there's some weird cases where you can't really get where you want to be uh, oh I know. You know or at least not not easily anyway. right or, or not without going to the hard drive and then, then navigating down through 10 levels of folder structure right. That's that's a pain in the butt, and then you know things are popping up when you don't want them to, and you pause too long on something, and it, you know, yep. yeah, yeah. So I'll have to check it out. Total Finder, yeah, sounds pretty yeah, cool. Give it a try. It's kind of cool. It pops up in a window at the bottom of your screen, like the uh, um, Visor program did for Terminal, and I think all that has its origins in like the Visor thing that you got in like Quake. When you wanted to chat, there was a hot key, and it was this window would slide down from the top of your screen, and you start chatting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not, yeah, yeah. So that's where all this stuff gets its origins from. Interesting. Uh huh. Yeah, actually, yeah, actually cause I had on the list to talk about Visor as well, or maybe you said Visor. Vi yeah, total, Visor total is total is the uh, terminal um, that you can have 
pull down, you know, slide down from the top of your screen to do things in terminal instead of having to open a separate window every time you want to do something. Yeah. I guess I kind of have a terminal constantly open in, in that half the time, too. That's the yeah. other way. Yeah. Rather than finder to move things, it's kind of just an MV command. Mm -hmm. Just just do it. <laughs> like it's so much easier. Right. Uh, I right. think that's cool. So I will have, have to you check this out. played with any shell alternatives? I haven't. No. Um, are you talking about actually like terminal? Uh, There's one specifically I'm interested in, but I I played with it a little bit. I couldn't quite get the hang of it, and I'd have to spend like a couple days in it to get used to it. It was called Rush. Are you talking in terms of like a different shell, like yes, Bash? Is called yes, 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 yes. Oh, no, I haven't tried that at all. All right. Well, Rush is a uh, is supposed to be like a Bash type thing, but it's uh, based in Ruby. Oh. Um, and you know, you can apparently the, the the strange thing is that you have some kind of like you can dump directory references into variables and then reference the variable. You can copy things into that variable or subdirectories under that variable. Like you create pointers to things, kind of. Right. And they don't right. necessarily have to be on your machine, right? So it'll know that if you're moving something from your machine to a pointer that's an SSH reference, it'll oh. SCP it where it needs to go and crap like that. Like it's got some weird, you know, don't huh. need to know where you're moving things from, too. In some ways, that sounds very cool. In other ways, it sounds kind of scary. It does. And then it's got, like, process stuff like that, too. So, like, you can apparently launch a process on another machine through this thing if you've got... I don't know. I, I, huh. I'd i like to play with it, but I just haven't had a big enough chunk of time to sit down and, you know, make myself use it. No, because that sounds, like, extremely valuable. Because, uh, you know, I'm dealing with a project now that does a lot of distributed uh, management. And it's a real pain... For security reasons, I mean, you can always go through the trouble, which we're doing, set it, setting up public and private keys. But then there's also the whole who can access those, what key to use, what user. Like, it'd be nice if you could kind of manage some of that somehow Yeah. Uh, using Rush. I mean, it's just, you know, you want to go execute a command over here. Like, sure, you can do the SSH, you know, um, remote and pass it in the exact command or whatever it is. Um, but it's still, like, it's just you, you need the key and... I don't know, or it gets prompted for passwords and we're trying to automate things. It's really yeah, unless this thing has its own mechanism for talking to a, a, you know, a server sitting out on the other box, it's probably using SSH and you have, still have to deal with all that crap. Uh, yeah, I just didn't know it might have a way to, like, cache some of the stuff, like, differently. Right, right. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, half the problem with SSH like is... keychain type stuff and... Yeah, exactly. Okay. You know, a different mechanism for collecting that information and keeping it secure so that maybe when you run it, you have a different way. It's, I'll have to take a look at it and see what, see what the capabilities are. Yeah, um, worth a look. That sounds very cool. Actually, here's a simple question for you that was driving me nuts today. Uh, in my Bash shell... Mm -hmm. For some reason, when I SU to a certain user by control A and control E and like certain commands to like get to the beginning of the line, get to an end of the line, stop working. I thought that had to do with being in Bash Shell and having your editor set to like the BI type thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, but editor is a different thing, right? Like editor is what programs will open when you go into 
edit a file, like, you know... Uh, right, wouldn't it default, like, cron or something like that, or... Cron SV or you know, subversion, subversion. Commit, right, what it'll open, right? But the, the key bindings in Bash are set differently than editor. Right, well, how do you set the key bindings in Bash to be... <laughs> Like I thought it was, I thought somehow it pulled from, and obviously I'm wrong. Okay, this is my takeaway for next week. Is I'll figure out what, how to fix this. I'm sure there's people out there. Well, I'm sure Luke, who's probably one of our only listeners, can tell me how to fix that. So oh, I'll is ask. Luke listening? Oh, great, cool. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Shout out. Nice. Um, yeah, actually, had some good feedback from last week. So we'll have to see. Um, our first listener feedback. What do you have to say? <laughs> um. He had some comments on some of the web service stuff that we were talking about, and you know he's dealing with it at his work about. So we don't know what the side. hell we're talking about. <laughs> no, no, he uh, he, you know, he felt strongly and kind of agreed with us about when you own both sides of the equation. You know, what's the advantage and disadvantage, and how do you know if you can have more than one consumer? Are you really building out uh, complexity, or are you building out flexibility? Right. I guess is the question, and that's what you got to answer. Um, besides that, he liked the moo at the end. That, that, those were his two awesome. pieces of feedback. Me too. <laughs> Not bad for winging it. Right. Um, so, moving right along. Um, one thing, and I'm not sure if you saw this, that I thought was interesting, from like one of the, the local Philly Ruby group, um, Philly RB, was someone created the, I'm probably not even going to say it right, Precent, Precedent, Precedent, Right. Timelines for yes, everything. The timeline program. I've been thinking about how I need one of those for ages now, and and I saw it come out, and I got an account, and I went on, and I started putting things into it, and I haven't been back because I I need to look things up before I put more stuff in it. Well, can I ask? Because I think it's really cool. Yes. Like I, I mean, I, I think it's a really neat concept. And if you haven't been there, it's p r e c e d e n dot com. To use it for right was you know it has different sections right. So you could have like a like an education section and a uh, residence section right. So you can like mm-hmm. show okay when I lived at different addresses and how long I lived at different each different address. That's the only way I remember anything is in relation to other things. My memory right. for sure. things that happened in the past is awful, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be able to track out, like, you know, my life so I can look back and be like, wait, when the hell did I leave that job and go to that job? And wh- where was I living and, you know, that sort of thing. No, I think that's a totally valid use, and that's kind of the, the example he has on the homepage. And, I, you know, I – kind of want to do the same thing education it's kind of cool that he's put relationships although i'm not sure my wife would appreciate that line maybe does it give you the toggle bit like i can hide and unhide certain it's not all public is it <laughs> i mean i have to go change something no. all those first times um never mind <laughs> um locations like and he has presidents on here which is pretty kind of cool like i mean it would be very neat to see how many layers to your life you could put up? Like, where was I living? You know, what education were they going through? Sure. My relationships. Uh, the other thing I wanted to do with it, which I don't think it is, you know, like, like so I've been thinking about building one because I've wanted to do this particular thing with it. I, I would like, at my day job, right, we've got this uh, workflow system thing, right? 
and uh, you know that we built on top of quartz, right? So it's this big back-end batch processing, and some bits of it here and there go into parallel and do multiple things at a time, and then they join back together and continue. And I'd love to be able to take a log of that and feed it into a timeline so I could see what tasks were occurring at the same time. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously, I mean, obviously that's when you have the, the more, you know, feature-rich BPM software that, you know, obviously is not open source or free. A lot of that has that, obviously, that you can graphically view the flow of execution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But BPM software had other freaking issues. I mean, it's, I'm it's, not, I'm, that, that stuff's geared towards, like, sending off emails and getting a response from people. Right, that's their idea of an asynchronous message. Well, some of it. I mean, some of like, the my idea of an asynchronous message is something that happens in parallel to the next thing you're going to do. Right. Well, they have that. I mean, some of them have that. I mean, if you, I guess you're into more of a workflow as to to a business process at that point, because it's all automated and synchronous. No, even the workflow stuff, I couldn't find a clear definition of a workflow product that would actually execute two tasks simultaneously. The it, they would tell you that you can split at this point and do two things and then join at the point after it. But every example I saw showed them executing in some sequential order. Right? Um, I guess like in theory. It would execute path A down to the join point and then go back up and execute path B down to the join point and then continue, right? Like A and B didn't happen at the same time. Like, it didn't use threads, right? Because I'm talking about, like, A and B being, like, you know, um, gathering data from two different systems, right? And I can, sure. do, I can do that, you know, two, three, four things at a time, right? I don't need to do one and then wait and then do the other. Right. I mean, you're probably right. I imagine it, it builds it, like, so, say you were to come to a point where you're going to split and put, like, four messages or maybe publish a message to multiple subscribers to say, okay, start your work. And then join on the results of all that work. Um, I imagine it would execute, you know, put one message on, put the second message on, put the third message on, or whatever. Right, and, and that's okay <clears throat> if I want to make all my parallel work have to be implemented in the form of a message listener. Yeah. No, right? you're, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> but if I just want to extend the, you know, the business process node and make that actually do work, right? Like, they all seem to execute in sequence. Which yeah. There was no threading or no forking of processes there, and it was really frustrating trying to find one that would do it. And that's why we ended up writing our own. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty low-level thing. I mean, I think most of them are not dealing with that kind of control, you know, thread, right. threading level. Yeah. Well, mine does. Yeah. No, that's great. <laughs> but, but yours doesn't have a pretty user interface, so there. It's close. It's very close, actually. Uh, all the connections between nodes um, are... Uh, I, ha I have a script that will read the whole Spring config file and, and write it all out in, um, in uh, dot format. Right. You're and showing then I run it through cool. GraphViz and I get a full graphical representation of the workflow. But I can't see it happen live. It's the only, only thing I don't have yet. Huh. We'll have to figure out how to solve that problem. Seriously. Um, 
So I guess uh, the last thing I want to discuss, because we got on to Google Buzz at the end of last week when it came out, is uh, right. how are you using it? How are you liking Google Buzz compared to all the other social collection of information, publishing, whatever? I look at it much more frequently because it's right next to my inbox. Um, yeah. So if it has a little number there, I've got to go read it because, you know, I've got issues. Um, <laughs> and they all have to say zero. You can create the first, like, Google Buzz Zero badge. Right. That's brilliant. We'll have to tell uh, Randy. We'll have to tell Randy, yeah. Um, so it's cool that way. I mean, I haven't had any uh, any new uses for it. I did after we got done talking I, the next day. I was like, hey, you know, I wonder uh, if there's an API. Uh, of course there is. And, and, and like the day after it was released, somebody released a uh, Arbuzz um, Ruby. Um, oh, nice. Wrapper for the API. Wrapper for the API, yeah. So, so you can program the whole damn thing in Ruby if you want to. Well, that's cool. I'm sure it's a very simple API. It seems pretty straightforward. I mean, as far as its capabilities. Yeah, until you look at it on the iPhone. Oh, right. That does I seem mean, a little It does a ton of extra crap. That you can't do apparently on the web page. That is just so weird that you, they build something that's more functional on a mobile device than on the web page. I find it very odd. I mean, well, how many uh, browsers have location information? We know Netscape does now, right? Right. Um, but like that, uh, that whole thing where you grab the latitude and longitude right from the Navigator object, was it? In yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Like, does Chrome support that? I'm not even sure. I don't know. And if so, I mean, I guess it would be geolocating the IP address as opposed to the GPS in your phone. Yes. So right. it would be a best guess at best. That sounds kind yeah, of Yeah, but that's all you're going to get anyway. I mean, that's all you really need for, for that app. Um, all the porn sites seem to do it very well, so why not? Right. Well, they lead technology on the web. You, you do know that. Yes, they do. They, they yes, do. they do. I mean, if not for porn on the web, we probably wouldn't have voice or video chat. <laughs> that, that is very true. Or all the other you know, images and the rest of it. I mean, they really are a pioneer in security in the, on the web. I mean, yeah. All, all sorts I mean, of things. being able to take a credit card, I'm sure, was pioneered by Port on the Web. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, Chrome does not seem to... Uh... <laughs> Note to self, do not have the wife in the room during the next podcast. <laughs> right, right. Um, go in a room by myself if we're going to do the next podcast <laughs> so we can talk about porn. <laughs> um... Uh... I just went to a page um, that I know requests the latitude and longitude, and it, and it works in Navigator, and Chrome does not. Um, doesn't support it. Doesn't do it. Nice. Oh, well. Um, yeah, well, no, I really enjoy Buzz, and I, I think I like it for the same reason you do, which is it's just next to my email, so you're, you're going to one place for things, not, uh, you know, a Twitter client, um, some other Facebook client, 
you know, something for email. It's right, like, but if I had, you know, I don't know, if I was following 180 people, mm-hmm. I don't know that it would be so good. Right. I think I, it also came along at the right time to that point that, like, I use Twitter. Well, I use Twitter to follow everybody. You know what I mean? Right. Like, um, what do I care? You know, it's it's almost to the point of noise. Where with Buzz, I've been a lot more selective mm-hmm. and following people that I know contribute things I'm interested in to Twitter, and therefore I'm probably going to be interested in what they're saying. So, like a lot more technology oriented or friends right. friends who I want to kind of pick up what they're saying. Sure, sure. <clears throat> so I think that at that thing, you know, from that perspective, Buzz came along at the right time because people are kind of. <laughs> Most of the people you're following in Twitter aren't in your Google address book, so it didn't pick them up anyway. <laughs> that is also true. Right. But I think it has, you know, you can go and pick up like your Twitter feeds and things like that. I mean, I know you can integrate, but I think you can be more, I don't know, less selective, I should say. Right. But I like having Buzz being a refined process where the rest of it's just kind of noise at this level, which is actually. Um, Adium is supposed to do it better, and if there's another IM client out there like it, but Trillium on the Windows, and they're coming yeah. and they're coming out with a Mac. Talk about your you know inbox zero. I love it because it, it integrates with Twitter, uh, Gmail, Yahoo Mail, Instant Messenger, like all your Instant Messenger protocols. Right. And it kind of gives you this one nice, so you can kind of as your day goes through, see tweets come up, see you know what's in your inbox without actually going to it. It kind of gives you a preview of it. Yeah, you know, uh, I can't get that working in Adium. I can't get it working in Adium either. And really? You told us to talk to Twitter and it, it, it uh, freaks out? Uh, I think so. I, think, I, I don't know if I've tried it with the most recent version, hmm. but I tried it with the previous version that was supposed to work, and that didn't, and that yeah. just gave up. And um, Talk to Facebook, okay, so you can chat with people on Facebook, but uh, you don't get the feed, you know. Yeah, which is, I'm more passive, so I want more of the feed. Like, I kind of just like to periodically, you know, uh, you know, peruse through the you know last couple of posts, see if there's anything I care about, and then move on. You only really want to have that one thing to shut off when you're going to do a presentation instead of the client. <laughs> yes, good point, good point. You don't want it popping up everywhere using growl notifications. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Nothing worse. Nothing worse. <laughs> Especially when you're giving a presentation and people are in the room who see that you have it still up and then therefore send you... And then abuse the hell out of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Send you messages. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, anything else to chat, yeah. to chat about you this week? Yeah, you had one big topic you wanted to discuss, I thought, and it wasn't on your list. What would that be? Um, network storage. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we came across that in a later conversation. So, yes. So... I had two similar, uh, they're the same actually, external USB hard drives that I kept somewhat in sync via R-Sync. But one died and now I'm pissed and I didn't like a USB connection anyway in the kitchen because it had right. music on it. So I started looking to network attached storage devices, uh-huh. uh, which had come down considerably in price. I don't know when the last time you looked was, right, but right, right. I mean... Like five years ago, I know people, maybe not that long, two years ago, I know people who bought them and were buying you know, one terabyte of non-mirrored storage, maybe 500 of mirrored NAS storage for like 1500 bucks. I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah. And now you can get a diskless 
Um, the one that I'm leaning towards is called ReadyNAS. But you can get a discless version of it, and I'd have to look at the prices. But I think the two bay is like three fifty, and the four bay is like four fifty. And that's with no discs in it. No discs, okay. but it supports some really sweet functionality. So it supports all the streaming of video. But then, by the time you put all the disc in it, you want you're talking like you're getting close to a grand anyway, right? Yeah, if not more. Um, so if you buy. The four bay, and, but the nice thing is, so the, the reason I'm looking at the ReadyNAS over some of the other solutions that I've seen or offerings is that you can upgrade slowly. So if you buy the four bay ReadyNAS, uh-huh. you can start off with two one point terabyte, you know, one point five terabyte drives in there, and then you know next month throw a third one in there and go from you know mirrored to striped, get a little bit more space, and then throw another one in there and it just repartitions all the drives and resyncs all the data. So yeah, how does it do that? How does it magic? I mean, where's it put your stuff while it's reformatting? Um, I think it obviously has some impressive algorithms to Yeah. It, well, because it has to have two copies of the data anyway, right? In order to be mirrored. Raid, mirrored or raid. I mean whatever it is. It's not a raid. Well, yeah, okay. I mean it, it it they just it'll have two copies not on the same disk, but it's striped. It's not too you know, it's not mirrored, obviously. Yeah, you know, I, I don't I forget all my lessons in this going back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so let's let's talk about that though, because I don't think I thought RAID right was not mirrored, right? If you have two, uh, say, a hundred gig drives, right, and but no, you need three to five for right. RAID, two is right. Two is mirrored, and that's RAID. And I'm probably getting right. this wrong. So, RAID so if you zero do three is like, to five, the way it does it, right, is it writes some bits to each of the drives, and then it writes a checksum that it can use to rebuild those bits if it loses one of the drives, right? So you don't you get you don't get half the storage. You get like ninety percent of the storage you had. No, no, seriously. So striping, I believe, is where it writes some bits to each of the drives, and then it checks some at the end, and you get a good 90% of usage of the, yeah. the drive. Yeah. And if one goes out, it rebuilds that one based on the other drive, the other data and the checksum, right? Correct. Okay. It just says it's distributed, and um, a drive failure requires replacement, but the array is not destroyed by a single drive failure. Right. Subsequent reads can be calculated from the distributed parity, such that the drive failure is masked from the end user. So you can still get any data back. Right. So but, you know, so you're you're concerned about having redundant copies of your data, or at least rebuildable, in case you lose well, a drive. You're you're concerned about losing a drive. Well. That's part of it, yes, because I'm starting to have a pretty large collection of, you know, family video, pictures, whatever, right? That right. has gotten beyond just what I want on my laptop. Um, and you, I also don't think internet is the way to go. Um, because I no. know you have a DreamHost account, and I know that they have a mechanism that you can set up a backup user account that's allowed to back up data. So you could R-sync it straight up to your backup user on DreamHost. And it's at no additional cost to you today. Right. Um, but the problem that doesn't solve is, you know, the other major, what I lost here was more music. 
So over the last two months since the last time I synced my drives, mm-hmm. I you know put some music onto it, you know ripped a couple CDs, whatever, bought some iTunes, and I don't think that would work very well for. I mean, I guess if I had one external USB drive, which is the other problem, I would like this to be kind of hidden away somewhere, um, like over the internet. Yeah, but it's in t- it's internal to your house, so it's less. Why? Why? I don't know. Okay. I like to own it. I like to be able to touch it. Okay. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, and, these are the same questions I'm trying to figure out what to do about, and you know. Well, so well, um, the theory is, and so I'm talking to people who have bigger aspirations than I do, who are mm-hmm. looking at the ReadyNAS, mm-hmm. and because of its streaming capabilities, and so it has some, you know, some hardware built into this. It's not just, you know, drive based. Yeah, yeah, sure. So if you have like the PS3, you can stream your movies from it. So if you started ripping your DVD right, right. collection, uh-huh. um, and, and that's something clearly that over the internet, well, I know Netflix and things like that can do it. I think that'd be a lot easier to manage uh, in your house. And actually the, the top of the line version of the ReadyNAS, actually I think it, believe, it either has dual mix or has the capability to stream to you know, um, you know, high, high bandwidth stream so you could be watching video on two different TVs in the house. However, right, you know, right. Now, now with the, a, um, with I, I recently uh, decided that wireless G wasn't sufficient and I wanted to go up to N. Right. Right. So, so I bought a new router, a new Netgear do-everything router, right? Mm-hmm. So it's got... Um, it's got your uh, A and or uh, A B and G on um, available on one SSID, right? Right. And available on another SSID, and then it does this dual band thing where it's supposed to be able to run two point four gigahertz and five gigahertz at the same time and get three hundred gigabits throughput or some. Crap like that. I don't know if it actually works or not because I'm sending it back. <laughs> right, you said. Right. But you can also hook an external drive to this thing and it'll share it on the network, right? Yeah. I mean, so, that's. But it's USB, right? All these interfaces that do this are USB. Right. Well, I have the airport Is there express a USB it does that too. only solution that will just deal with the mirroring and, or the RAID that isn't also like a network device? Uh, I'm sure you could buy like a Linux box. <laughs> yeah, have yeah it of course like you a can. Cheap. But I'm just wondering if like there's a cheaper case that doesn't have to know about the networking and doesn't have to deal with the streaming hardware and all that crap, right? That's just a USB drive. L- looks like one big USB drive. That you could plug into your Airport Express and achieve the same goal, cheaper. Um, that's a good question, and that would give you one. You know, isn't that what the Drobo does? Uh, someone else me- mentioned the Drobo. I think JP uh-huh. mentioned the Drobo, and I looked at it. It might, but the Drobo. Uh, what were the limitations of that? Most of them, uh, the ones I looked at, and that's again the reason I was mentioning the ReadyNAS, require you to buy all your discs up front. And, you know, to replace it, you got to replace them at the same time. 
Now, I know the Drobo doesn't. Drobo was designed specifically so that you could have um, different size drives and and add them later, and they didn't even have to match or come close, and it, like, just figured out how to deal. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. Then maybe that was not what I was thinking Of course, about. I thought it was a little pricey. Yeah, that's true, too. Um, I don't know. But yeah, that would be kind of cool, too. But the other one I'm looking at is uh, we get a discount on the iOmega ones, which are pretty cool because they come ready for, but like they're, they're designed with um, security in mind. And by security, I mean not like your internet security, but like they have the ability to have five cameras attached and like auto record <laughs> stuff like that. So, I mean, <laughs> they're obviously with the focus of like, you know, why you'd be wanting to buy this, you know, is to record and, and store video right, from these okay. feeds. But I was like, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a bit overboard. Of, yeah, that was, seemed like kind of an interesting piece of uh, functionality to be building in. But oh well. Um, actually, this, I'm looking at Drobo right now. It's actually not too bad as far as the price. It looks like they're having a huge rebate right now. Yeah. And a big um, discount on Amazon. <laughs> Who knows? But anyway, I do think um, for the, you know, the ability to have the music and the videos uh, and just the general backup. And part of it is like, while I w- was not against DreamHost and I've used that in the past to back certain mm-hmm. things up, the, because the price has dropped in the NAS, right. um, you know, to, to have something in-house Become much that's, more viable, right? Yeah, you know. Right. Say it cost so me, I was looking, you know, I was actually looking at the time capsule today yes okay because i'm returning this netgear thing piece of junk because it's cut my internet bandwidth down by 60 percent because it's got some bottleneck in it that i can't figure out which feature you have to turn off to get full bandwidth (laughs) Um, right so i was looking at the time capsule and it's essentially the same thing as this netgear thing but it's got a built-in drive um, right starting at a terabyte drive right for i think it's three hundred dollars that's not bad but that's not like if it goes you just lose things i know actually people have lost it's not mirrored or anything right but you use it as mainly as a backup of your laptop right so you keep everything on your laptop too well yeah it's like they want you to use it for time machine i mean hence time capsule exactly you know which that i mean fine if it's just a backup that's great you know, how many backups do you need to feel safe? But right. if, if it's your primary data points or for storing stuff, I don't know if I'd use that. But it, I think it does, or you can program it, like because you can hang USB drives off that, that, yes. are ex- that are accessible. So I think you can... But then they're just network-attached storage. Right, but now you have two network-attached drives that I think you could easily script so that... You could probably get the thing to mirror itself, yeah. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. So anyway, I'll but the keep distinction post- I thought was fat interesting was that the the time capsule they claim they have you know um, server class hard drive in them. You know, not like the you know thing I just ripped out of the external case USB drive that I happen to have laying around, right? Right. Like. I'm guessing, what's that mean? That means it's a 10,000 RPM drive or something that 
I don't know, has a longer mean time between failure. Uh, it, it, that's like one of those things that frustrates me because why don't they make all of them the best? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, price, right? I mean, somebody's yeah, cutting the, corners and saving money and charging yeah, but, you less and selling more. Yeah, I guess so. But the ones I, you know, the, the one that just crashed on me was a Lacey, which was supposed to be one of the better ones. Oh, which you know? one was that? That the 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 silver box one that. Yeah, it's a black box, a blue light under it, one terabyte. Oh, USB oh. two. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I've I've bought a bunch of Lacy's and most of them are pretty good, so I really shouldn't complain too much. Right, right. But um, you know, it's. it's I should ask the guy I work with what he buys. He he buys like a, another terabyte every month. Wow. He, he's a he's <laughs> a um a, a, a Dylan freak. Okay. And he's constantly out on these sites where they're publishing audio recordings of different concerts. Okay. And he must have them all. Oh, that's cool. Which is interesting. Um, but then he buys hard drives constantly. Hmm. Which is also a little weird because he's also, you know, um, an executive at our company who then doesn't understand why server hard drives configured in a you know a server configuration that's you know redundant and everything are, are so expensive when he can go to Newegg and get a terabyte for <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean yeah like what why is this emc disk so expensive when i can just go to Newegg and order exactly it? right like <clears throat> i'll just go down the best buy and uh load up and then we don't need to worry about it <laughs> can you imagine coming into the office and just seeing like a laptop there with like a usb hub with like eight USB drives off that, with like crazy R sync commands uh-huh. just running constantly, right. keeping everything up to date, running or somehow replicating data. Database server. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, that, that's pretty funny. But yeah, this guy's buying hard drives constantly, and I'd I'd, I'd be curious to know. Yeah, well, ask what him. he's using, what he's putting all this stuff on. Like, like for you, you're talking about putting, you know home movies and stuff on right like yeah like video and 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 stuff like for that i don't i i don't know if i'd want um i mean you don't necessarily need to have it all accessible all the time right like you could certainly get one of those ide drive docking stations and just drop in a drive and write data to it and then pop it out and stick in another one wasn't that kind of like a USB? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're like they're a USB um, like docking station for a drive. Right. I mean, it's a little. Yeah, you know, I know what you're talking about. And it's a little so you cheaper. You get to the buy cheaper it. drive, right? Yeah. It doesn't have the enclosure and it doesn't have the you know the connections and all yep. that. Um, that's what the guys that were working on Rip It down at Indie Hall were using. Because they're ripping a lot of DVDs. Right. Well. I think this has been another decent conversation. Let's uh, see how it turns out.